The great leader of the ancient Israelites, Moses, got to witness a lot of things um, in his days. He got to uh, talk to God in a burning bush, right? That would be unusual. Then uh, he got to witness uh, the ten plagues firsthand as God sent these plagues upon the Egyptians so that the Egyptians would let the Israelites go. And then Moses uh, witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. And I find it fascinating that this man that saw so much from God, so many mighty things, uh, miraculous things uh, of God, that we get to Exodus 33 and he makes a request of God. I, I think that's interesting. He says to God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. He wanted to experience this presence of God. And I'm thinking, wow, you've experienced a lot already, buddy. And uh, God said, I can't show you my glory and have, let you live. So he puts Moses in the cleft of a rock and passes by him with his hand over Moses so Moses can't see him until right at the end he removes his hand and Moses gets a glimpse of the glory of God. Well, then we get to this time of year and we really are celebrating the incarnation at Christmas. And the incarnation, as the Gospel of John tells us, uh, of Jesus Christ is really God up close and personal to us. And if we've seen the Son, we've seen the Father. And now we get to see Jesus and we get to see the full view of the glory of God in our age and in our time. It's really quite outstanding when you begin to understand that this great leader uh, uh, in, in ancient Israel, this patriarch Moses, what he wanted to see was the glory of God. And God said, you can't. If you see my glory, you'll die. But now, because the sun has come, we get to see the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And I think it's in all of us to want to see the glory of God. I think all people, whether they know it or not, want to experience the glory and the presence of God. And this brings us to uh, uh, the, the first point of what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to go over our vision statement here. Uh, it's a prime time to do that as a church. And, and the first thing we're going to talk about is that, uh, that God has a picture in mind when it comes to us, a vision. So when I use the word vision, let me just clarify this word, because I can see that it causes people confusion. Vision means a picture of what could be, okay? That's a super simple definition of vision. Like if you have a vision for your future, you might think, well, my future is uh, I'm going to do this kind of career, I'm going to own this kind of house, I'm going to marry this kind of person. You follow what I'm saying? That's a vision, a picture uh, of a future uh, state. And so God has a vision, I think, for people. Uh, that, and we're going to talk about that this morning. I think this is universal, but we as a church have really adopted uh, this vision as, as our way of seeing what God wants to do in the lives of people. And the first thing I think he wants us to experience is a genuine encounter with him. It was nine years ago that I came to this church. And it was on this very Sunday, the first Sunday after Christmas, that I did my first message. I'm just going to say this. Never, ever move at Christmas time. Terrible time to move. Terribly disruptive. Plus, it snows. And I remember we got to spend uh, Christmas in Fargo in a snowstorm. Actually, was that right, Vicki? Was it? Far yeah, thank you. I have to look at my wife because my memory, you know, I'm older and I can't remember. But, and we got to eat Hot Pockets. Joy, joy, joy. After a day of that, I said, I'm going down that road no matter what. And so we went over to Minnesota because they had shut down the freeway. 29, and we took 75 down. At any rate, um, so it was a year ago, or nine years ago, that I, I presented this message for the very first time, that I think God has a three-level vision that he wants his people to embrace. He wants people in general to embrace. 
And that's what we're going to go over once again today. Um, if you know some of this language, good. But we need to share frequently as a church on vision because our vision bucket leaks. We forget what we're about very quickly and get caught up in things that probably don't matter all that much. And so we have to frequently go back to who are we and what are we about. And that's what we attempt to do uh, with this vision statement here that governs our church. Now, I think there's a universal picture that God wants us to understand uh, that he desires for people. One, that they know Jesus Christ. Two, that they grow in their relationship in Jesus Christ. And three, that we share uh, Jesus with others around us, okay? So that, that's universal. If you read the Bible, that's in the front, in the beginning to the end of the Bible, that we are to know God, grow in God, and then share God with other people. Amen? Right? So when I was first coming here and trying to figure out how to put this into some kind of a, a fancy little statement, I've been thinking on this, by the way, for about five to six years before I came here. I began to realize that really quickly in our culture, we, we become self-dependent. And we begin to think that, uh, you know, we have to do some things to earn favor with God. And so when I was looking at what would make a really good vision statement for a church, a picture of what God would want us to be, I thought we got to include the word grace in there because God does the work in us. We don't do the work. And so our vision statement here at Grace Point is this. We want to be a church where people can encounter the grace of God. That means we run into Jesus Christ personally and have a life-changing, life-altering uh, interaction with him where we give our lives to him by faith. Amen. We want people to encounter grace. We want to. Secondly, we want to grow in grace. Uh, we want to learn what it means to be more and more dependent on God. And thirdly, we want to become people who give grace away. We are part of God's plan of enablement for others to find relationship with him also, and so that's, in a nutshell, our, our vision statement and why the word grace is in, in, included in terms, uh, in that uh, terminology. Let me give you a definition for grace. It comes from the Greek word charis. The New Testament was originally penned in Greek, and it means the favorable disposition of God towards sinners on account of Jesus. It's God's unearned, unmerited favor. It's God's empowerment to come to him by faith, and to live in him by faith. You need to understand that last piece of the definition. It's God's empowerment. It's God's enablement. All right? Grace is not the same as forgiveness. Forgiveness is overlooking a transgression. That's not grace. Grace is not the same as mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace means empowerment. It means I become someone I'm not able to become on my own because of God working in my life. So let me give our vision statement again. We want to be a church that, uh, that, that people encounter grace at, grow in grace, and then become ones who give grace. So I'm going to go through a review of the message I did nine years ago, only it's matured. It's a lot more uh, uh, thought out than that first message was. I thought it was really good, the first message. Uh, no, no, not that good. Anyway, I'm glad it's not on tape anymore. Um, and so what I, I share with you continues to be a maturing of understanding uh, of what the picture is that God has for people in general. And so here we go. Um, I'm using these stairs on purpose. So before we come to God, 
It's like we're all in darkness, right? Like the stage is dark. We're, we're walking in darkness, and then we run into Jesus Christ, and we have an encounter in him, a life-changing uh, encounter, and we step from darkness into light. We step into faith in Jesus Christ, and our life's never the same. That's the first encounter that anybody has if you're going to move from death to life. There has to be a moment where you run into Jesus Christ, and you give your life to him by faith, and you become a new creation in God. Now, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus came full of truth and grace. Interesting thing about the Gospel of John It's a unique gospel. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three are called synoptic gospels. That means they tell the story of the life of Jesus from different angles. They're very similar to one another, and they fill in the gaps for each other. And the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, start out by describing the humanity of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look at Matthew and Luke, which we do at this time of year, they talk about the birth of Christ, and they talk about his lineage, and all that kind of thing. And if you look at the, the Gospel of Mark, it begins with the baptism of Jesus Christ. So those three Gospels begin with the humanity of Jesus. Guess what? The Gospel of John begins with the divinity of Jesus, his Godhead, his origin, his mission. It talks more on the theological level of what he came to do and what he came to, to uh, accomplish. And, and so the Gospel of John illuminates for us this idea that you and I are to have an encounter, a divine encounter with God that forever changes us. Let me read uh, to you from the Gospel of John, then chapter 1, beginning with verse 10. Listen to this now. He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So that's why we have grace included in our vision statement, because this thing of being born again is enabled by God. Amen? It's a gift from God. The Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So Christ came bringing grace. He atoned for our sins. He paid a price we couldn't pay. We put our faith in him. We moved from death to life. So let me begin with something really basic, but if this is, if nothing else, good for you to know to share with other people. How do I become a child of God? Let me make this abundantly clear. By believing that Jesus is Savior and receiving him through faith. Amen? By believing that Jesus is Savior and receiving him through faith. Amen? Oh, you guys are so tired. You got some hangover going on, don't you, from the Christmas season. Then you step from what I call darkness here into light. And you're having an encounter uh, with the living God. So believing and receiving are just 
fundamental to beginning the life that God wants us to begin in him. But here's where the marinating, here's where the maturing process of the vision statement is really beginning to affect me. This, this is not a once and done deal by any means, this encounter of God. It is to be an ongoing way of interaction uh, when it comes to the living God. Jesus and Elisha should become bigger and bigger and more relevant and more relevant the more we re- mature in him. And then what happens is we begin to have these fresh encounters with Christ that become kind of normative of how we do our walk. Because, you know, when you first come to God, you're just so messed up. You're one messed up puppy, amen? You don't know right from wrong. You don't know. You just know you need Jesus. And then as, as you go on in him, pretty soon the Holy Spirit who begins, who's living in you now because you're a follower of God begins to bring up areas of your life that aren't very good, that are far from God. They're not being done right. And you have fresh encounters with God, and he transforms you and renews you and changes you. And so this encounter thing goes on and on and on and drills deeper, deeper, deeper down into into our soul. You know what I want to tell you today? We have to get over this Disney movie view of life. This, you have all these problems, you solve them, and then life is happy ever after and comfortable and easy. Uh, when we're a follower of Jesus Christ, listen, it's more like we're on a recovery program. It's more like Alcoholic Anonymous. We're always going to be a bit addictive to sin. We always have to be on guard. We always have to let the Holy Spirit work in us and transform us. Uh, You know, it's like they get together and say, you know, I'm an alcoholic. We have to get together and say, you know, I was a sinner, but now I'm not a sinner. But I understand the sin nature thing and how easily it can captivate my soul. But Jesus in me has changed everything. And he constantly brings up new things in you, the Holy Spirit, when you're born again, uh, 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 that God wants to transform. And so the encounter becomes deeper and richer the more you grow up in Christ. Amen? It's not a once and done deal. It's done once and for all when it comes to your salvation, but when it comes to your transformation, it's an ongoing endeavor. Um, in Acts chapter 15, the, the early church council of elders and apostolic leadership had to deal with an issue. Some were saying, in addition to confession of faith in Christ, that you had to be circumcised. And the, and the council said, listen, no, that's not true. Here's what, here's what was said in Acts chapter 15, verse 11. We believe that it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. They're saying nothing, nothing but Jesus and the grace of God is what saves people. And Paul, making this abundantly clear, said in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So that's the encounter part of the picture that God wants us to get. All right? That's all vision means. A picture that God wants us to, to, to begin to embrace that could be for our lives. Then after this, we begin to step into level two. That, that is to grow in grace. To grow in grace. All right? I think what happens unintentionally frequently, especially in our American culture, is that maybe we kind of get that we come to God by grace, uh, through faith, and it's a free gift and all that. But then once saved, we kind of revert back to old ways really quickly. You know that? And we've been taught since we've been wee little ones, you work hard, you pull your weight, you earn your way. 
And we think maturing means getting more and more independent and self-reliant and all that. And so we get to this place and then we think, I got to do all these things to please God. And unintentionally, we begin to be one who thinks our works justify us. Dangerous. Growing up in Christ means I learn to be more dependent on him. Maturing in Jesus means I become more dependent the more I know him. It's just opposite of what we're taught in our culture, which teaches us to become more independent. Amen? Do you see this? This is at work in all of us. I know it's a problem, and we may not admit it or not, but it's a problem. Maturity in Christ means I am learning to be more and more reliant upon him and more expectant that he will do supernatural things in my life. That's what it means to mature in your walk. It's so contrary to what we're taught, it's very difficult really to embrace. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14 tells us this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So here's what happens a lot. I think people move from darkness and they get stuck right here. Saved and they have encounters and they have fresh encounters with God and they're heaven bound, but it's not God's intention for us just to be residing in this entry-level kind of relationship with God. He wants us to begin to really push into the things of Christ and really begin to seek after Christ. Their Hebrew writer lamented in Hebrews chapter 5 that your, his readers were still in need of milk, the elementary truths of the Bible, and they should be teachers by that point. Level 2 is about this. You're crazy in love with Jesus Christ. You're now beginning to ask different questions. You're not questioning the authority of the Bible in your life anymore. That's elementary. You're not questioning, you know, uh, is the Bible true or not? That's elementary. You follow what I'm saying? Those things are settled in you. These elementary truths are settled in you. Now the question you are beginning to ask is, how do I personally really live for Jesus wherever I find myself? I love Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. It tells us this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Now, unfortunately, this level has been reduced to information attainment frequently. And people think depth in a message is some new thing that tickles my ears. Right? Oh, I never heard that before. I hear people say this sometimes. You know... I want deep messages. Really? Because deep is really living the gospel. It's not finding some new nuance in the Bible you've never known before. I'm all for reading the Bible. You should be on a reading plan for this year for Bible reading. Amen? You should read it every day. And then, then you should apply it. I'm a big fan of knowing uh, the Bible. But get this. Now, don't throw stones at me. The Bible isn't the end. It's a tool to the end. Bible knowledge isn't the goal. It's a process to get you to the goal. The goal is to look like Jesus Christ. 
The goal is to think like Jesus Christ, to act like Jesus Christ, to live like Jesus Christ. And the Bible is a very useful tool to that goal. Amen? But the goal is to live and move and have your being in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was in sixth grade, well, actually fifth grade, my dad decided he would teach me golf. Now, that wasn't even cool back then. Back then, you played football or basketball, which I did, but I loved anything with a ball and a stick. So when he said, we're going to go out and hit this little teeny ball with this little stick, I thought, this got to be fun. So he shows me how to do it. He, you lock your hands together. Some of you golf, right? This may mean nothing to a lot of you, but just bear with me. So he shows me how to link my fingers and hands. I'm going, that doesn't feel good. He goes, no, but that's the way you hold the club. But it doesn't feel right. I remember I had this conversation. He said, just do it. Okay. So then he said, now swing, and you go back, and you kind of keep this arm straight, and you go back on your left, and then you, you come through, throw your hip out. And I go, throw your hip at the ball, you know, and throw. And then he said, now when you're doing all that, keep your head still. I'm a, I'm a fifth grader. You know, you don't keep your head still for anything when you're in fifth grade. And I remember him getting a little frustrated because I was throwing my stuff. I mean, I'm just, I'm going to hit it hard, right? And right away, he takes a golf club. He puts it on top of my head. So he's standing there. He said, now swing, and I'm going to hold your head still. It was so awkward. It was unnatural. And I remember saying, how can I just swing hard? He goes, no, you have to learn to swing right first. And so it was really unnatural and awkward for a season. And then I began to hit the ball really well. And it began to make sense. And as soon as you hit a golf ball a couple times, you're hooked. Because you watch it fly and go, oh, that's kind of cool. And pretty soon it became very natural feeling. And the next year, well, in seventh grade, I actually went out for the golf team. And just really enjoyed it. In fact, looking back, it's the one sport I should have stayed involved with. I had a possibility of actually doing well in it. But it wasn't cool back then. When you first become a Christ follower, his ways seem unnatural. I must die so he can live. I have to diminish, he has to increase. I remember one that really bothered me. If someone strikes you in the one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. Really? Don't you just punch them back? Come on, this is unnatural stuff, right? And, and so much of scripture. You go through the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. It's, it's really unnatural. Blessing the poor in spirit? Really? Are they blessed? Blessed when men revile you and say, all men are of things against you unjustly. You know, great is your reward? What? I mean, we just had a talk, Vicky and I, about some of that. I just, I struggle, still struggle with this stuff. It doesn't feel natural. But here's the thing. If you'll practice it, pretty soon it does feel natural. If you'll let the Holy Spirit work in you this way, pretty soon it does become the way you react. And then you know what? Your spirit soars and you hit some sweet spots and then pretty soon you desire to do that and it doesn't feel unnatural at all. See, this level two, you've got to understand something here. It's not about trying harder. It's about being willing to be trained and being submissive to God's word and to the Holy Spirit. So here's our, our thought here on this level two. We are people in training who through the enablement of the Holy Spirit are becoming what we formerly were not. That's the picture that this level needs to paint. You are a person in training 
who through the enablement of, of the filling of the person of the Holy Spirit are becoming what you formerly were not. That's the picture that God has for us. That's the vision he has for people. 1 Timothy 4, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7 tells us that to have nothing to do with godless myths, but train yourself to be godly. So here's what I think this means. Training means I begin to do the things of God, but I do them differently. So when I read God's word, which I should, the reading of the word isn't the, the what, what you, that's not the purpose. That's like saying weightlifting is, well, maybe that is the purpose for some. But anyway, but for most of the time, you, you, you might do weight training or um, aerobics or something so that you can play the sport better. Now, when you get older, all you do is you work out, and that's the end. That's really sad. But when I was younger, the workouts were so you could play a game or do something. Then it's more, like for me, invigorating. Um, but at any rate, you're developing yourself so that you can become tomorrow what you're not yet today. And so when you read God's Word, you good, it's good to read God's Word. Amen. But you need to be asking yourself, okay, God, what are you speaking to me today with your word? What are you telling me in this that I maybe am not practicing? And, and you, begin, you begin to kind of weight lift with it, right? You begin to let it do something in your soul that's not maybe there at that moment. And, and your prayer life begins to change. Now, I think you should pray for requests. I, I pray weekly for my children and my grandchildren by name, and I ask God to do works in their life. But there's a point in your prayer where you begin to pray like this, God, I just want to know you more. I want to see your glory, like Moses. I want a heart that beats after your heart. And your prayers change from requests to God, I want to know you more. Now you're in training, amen? Now you're starting to do a little bit of weightlifting here, and you're becoming today something that will help you in the future, okay? And so what you've got to understand in this level is that it's all about abiding and depending on God and, and, and training in him so that you become someone prepared for the future. So now we're to level three. This is the grace giver level. Now, I like to hike in the mountains. You all know that if you've been around here. Part of the reason I like that is because the views are so outstanding. You can see things undestructed. You get up high and you see all this beauty. This is starting to get up high enough in your spiritual walk where you're beginning to view life like God views life. Okay? You view life like God. You begin to see people like God sees people. You begin to understand that he's endowed you. He's, he's, he's graced you with gifts that you can begin to minister his grace to other people. And sometimes down here, it's, I don't want to say it's necessarily more selfish. It's, it's rightly self-centered more. Counting him is about you coming and knowing uh, God and it's about you developing. And here it's about growing here. But here you get to this place because it's about other people. And I think this is the, the picture God wants us to begin to really embrace as the people of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 tells us this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, the faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So God is saying to you and I, I have given you the person of the Holy Spirit to live inside you, and he has given you gifts of grace, gifts of the Holy Spirit, so that when you're out there, 
doing life, you're equipped to serve in such a way that it brings glory to Jesus Christ. You, every single one of you in here today, who call yourselves a Christ follower, who are filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, you are God's grace to those around you. Amen? You are part of God's plan to reach other people. So here's our big thought for the whole message today. Those who love Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit are part of God's plan to bring God's grace to others. You have to begin to see your life as an opportunity to serve God wherever you find yourself. This is part of the way that God's grace is administered in this world. See, I I see this all the time. People desire a deep life in Jesus. You're never going to have a deep life in Jesus until you begin to say, how do I serve Jesus wherever I find myself? Deep life in Jesus isn't about me sharing something with you and you being, oh, cool, deep. No, that's information sharing. Amen? Deep life is when you do it. When you begin to live for Jesus. When you go to work every day and you say, Jesus, how do I bring glory to your name today? How do I see the people around here, God, like you see the people around me? How do I live for you in such a way that it centers people back to the Lord Jesus Christ? I remember going to 3M and praying every morning, Jesus, I need to engineer today. I need to do my job for you, but I sure would like to touch some people for your glory today. How do I do that? Would you put on me a winsome attitude? Would you create in me a heart that cares about other people? That's level three, amen? That's going deep. Ephesians uh, 2.10 says this, for we are God's handiwork. We are God's artwork. We are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so what I pray is that we begin to really understand this and step into it that, and see the big picture that God has for us as followers because cultural engagement, engagement involves this. Good works that we do produces goodwill that will give us opportunity then to share the good news. And so that's why we do things in here at, at Grace Point like trunk retreat because we're trying to culturally create some goodwill. So we do this good works in our community to create some goodwill if Perhaps down the road, we can share the good news of Jesus with somebody. And it's one thing to do that on a church level. It's important. But here's what I want you to understand. God's calling every one of you to do this on a personal level. The vision needs to move from our church doing things like trunk or treat or Christmas Eve services or whatever to reach out into the community to you beginning to say, oh, this is how I need to do my Christianity. I need to be one who understands that if I do good works, to those around me, it creates goodwill, and I'll have an opportunity at some point probably share the good news. Pastor Aaron and I were talking about this message. We do that frequently. We talk about these messages. And uh, he was sharing that he really saw a change take place in the Oasis ministry here, that's the college ministry, when he put a challenge for, out there for the students. This was years ago. He said to the students, I want you to begin to pray for your professors and your fellow students in between classes. And will you take the one-on-one challenge, he said. Will you pray for one person you know that doesn't know Jesus Christ? Will you just pray for that person frequently? And he said, when they did that as a ministry here at the church, they began to change and grow. Amen? And that really began to take off as a ministry. It was already doing really well. Then the other day, I was listening to a podcast. 
And this pastor was explaining why his church was going through some phenomenal uh, growth and impact in, in, their, in their city. And he said, here's what I did. He said, I said to our people, will you pray for four people this year that don't know Jesus? Just pray for them. Four people that don't know Jesus. And count on God giving you divine moments to maybe share with them or interact in your life. But begin by just praying for four people. And the pastor said, I attribute all our growth to that. And so getting to this level, sometimes we think it's hard. By the way, you could be right here just having an encounter with God and you can already be doing everything. You can already have, begin to see other people like God sees them. You can already really be stepping into growing. This is not, this doesn't have to happen for five years and then it's five, five years and then don't, don't, no, 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 no. They all go on together at once. Amen, okay? So it's a good illustration, but don't get restricted by the illustration. So, Here's a challenge I want to lay out to you for 2019. Who wants to go deep in Jesus this year? If you're not raising your hand, you don't want to go deep, right? Here's what it means to go deep in Jesus Christ. It's to begin to see the world like God sees the world. It's to begin to have that mountain view of people like God has that view of people, that unobstructed view of people. And here's how I think we can begin to really have engagement with the world around us. Will you pray for four people this year? That's all I'm asking today. Do you want to go deep? Do you want to see God do things that you never thought he could do? Do you want to experience him in this way that's just sometimes awesome and out of this world? Will you pray for four people that don't know Jesus Christ? Okay? They don't know Jesus Christ. You should pray for your family. You should pray for your loved ones. I want you to pray for four people that do not know Jesus Christ. Will you do that this year? Will you write them down? If you're not willing to do this, I'm, I'm going to say what I said first hour. I hope you have nightmares. I hope you feel really guilty. I hope you feel really bad. Because, my friends, we're called to do this. We're called to have this experience of encountering grace and growing in grace and giving grace. This is all to go on at once. You know, we're to, we're to come to a uh, church like this. And I'm going to say this again, like I said here last week. Part of the reason if you come to church and you're not experiencing God is because you're not preparing to meet him. Begin Saturday night asking God to do something in your heart. Amen? And you'll meet him. And he, he once had this ongoing encounter where you just go, wow, Jesus is great. And you're drilling down on him more and more. He wants us to be in training, to be constantly pressing in and, and, and doing the work today that will produce the results tomorrow. And then he wants us to see like he sees. He wants us to have a burden for those around us, to enter into his plan of, of gospel promotion by being grace givers. Amen? By using the gifts and the graces that the Holy Spirit puts into us to serve others wherever we find ourselves. And all that's supposed to interact and go around and around and back and forth. And I tell you, when you, when you begin to understand this, I think it's life-changing. It's the gospel. It's the New Testament message to us. Encounter Jesus. Know him. Grow in Jesus. Abide in him. Depend on him. And give them to other people. Give grace away. Amen? This is the New Testament. So let's pray. And I hope that you're all experiencing this. Let's pray together. 
Lord God, I pray today for us as a congregation that we truly would have encounters with you, fresh encounters, ever-deepening encounters where our lives are being transformed uh, into you, Jesus. I, I know, like for me, sometimes I just run into you in a fresh way. It could be in a song. It could be uh, something that you uh, drill down uh, into my soul about, Lord, that maybe I'm being selfish or I'm being hypocritical. Or I'm worried about uh, what people think of me or I'm, I'm upset because of unfair things being said about me or whatever, and you reveal to me my flesh. And I pray, Lord, that we all would be willing to just have really honest, transparent moments with you, God, where we have these fresh encounters and we find a new greater dependency on you, Jesus. And I pray we very much on, on purpose would be people who uh, know and understand that, that, that growing in you means I'm learning to depend on you more, expect you to do the miraculous even more, that we're, I'm training, I'm, I'm reading your word, I'm asking myself tough questions, I'm praying prayers of, of, uh, that are centered uh, not just around requests but around um, knowing you more and wanting to see your glory, God. And I pray that, that I would truly be that person in training, God. I pray that for each one here uh, uh, this morning. And Lord, then I pray we would get to this uh, third level, this unobstructed view uh, uh, that you want us to, to gaze upon, Lord, of people who desperately need you. And you want our hearts to break for such ones. And you want us to be concerned enough to pray for them. And I pray that each person in here would pray for four people this year. And they pray uh, diligently, Lord, and earnestly that you would move in the lives that you put on their hearts, Lord. God, I just pray that we would just be ones who be uh, willing to, to give grace this way. We love you, Jesus. We praise your holy name. And all God's people said,